Our family Christmas celebration was not what I hoped it would be. We looked forward to being together, but one in our family was absent and not able to be here with us, and that absence brought a sadness to us. My sister Dorothy wasn't there. She was in the hospital. Now, my sister Ellen, she's right here, but our sister Dorothy, and she hadn't been feeling well for a few weeks, and after a few days of tests, she was diagnosed stage four cancer. She was fine at Thanksgiving. Now it turns out she has metastasized cancer, stage four. And we are each asking in our own way the same kinds of questions that you have asked and are asking as well whether at your diagnosis or your loss or a burden of bad news that you share. Why, God? Where is God? What is God up to? How is God God now? And these are all questions about the providence of God. In one way or another, most all of our prayers and our praises are about the providence of God the Lord's promises, the Lord's provisions, the Lord's purposes. What is the providence of God? The Heidelberg Catechism gives this summary, which we have learned, yet we know it takes a lifetime to take to heart. What do you understand by the providence of God? The almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, in fact, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So let's say that answer together out loud. The almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So we can summarize providence as the sovereign God's fatherly care. And we wonder about and yearn to know that the Lord cares for us, that the Lord provides for us. And so this is what we're going to reflect on the next few weeks in our winter worship. We go into the new year with everything from hopes and dreams to anxiety and worry and deep sorrow. In fact, Breakpoint reports a CDC spokesperson saying young people, especially young women, are in crisis these days. Nearly three in five teenage girls feel persistent sadness. And one in three girls has seriously considered attempting suicide. We are now 11 years into the largest epidemic 
of adolescent mental illness ever recorded. The biggest culprits that pressure our teens into anxiety are social media, progressive sexual beliefs, political judgments, and diminishing faith commitments and connections. More and more teens are getting their identities from their phones and less and less from the Bible and from the church family of Jesus. And anxiety, depression, and mental health problems are the result. Breakpoint summarizes, those suffering the worst are young, female, liberal, and secular. For them, brokenness is incredibly the norm. So taking to heart the providence of God and living by faith under God's fatherly care are needed more than ever these days. Can we help one another and help our friends and neighbors to find this assurance? To live by faith in the providence of God is to rest assured God is in charge of and takes responsibility for all things. All things come to us by his fatherly hand. Romans 8 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Not that all things are good, and not that all things are God's, but that God works for our good in all things. God isn't responsible for the evils of this world, but the Lord takes responsibility for them, taking it all up in Christ's nail-scarred hands so that there will be a sudden, joyous, turning to my good, the adversities of this world and life. With this assurance Romans gives us in this verse, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's the power of hope that belief in divine providence gives us and that is so missing today. We live even in the darkest valleys, remembering that the Heavenly Father cares for and directs all things in creation. Life is not run by chance or karma or chemical reactions, but by God the Father who is the giver of all good gifts and who knows us by name and through Jesus Christ his Son so that all things work together for our salvation. Easier said, right? You may already have questions and objections. Yes, this is a mystery. God doesn't give an answer to all our questions why. The Lord gives instead his son. The father gave his son to overcome evil by enduring it. Jesus said, I am with you always. We celebrate his coming at Christmas, calling him Emmanuel, God with us. But how is God with us? How does the Lord provide for us, especially in our hurts and disappointments and trials and losses. Mary's life and song of praise reveal to us that God comes to be with us as a minister. 
And this is our providential hope. Mary's life has been turned upside down. Most likely a teenager herself at the time, an angel visits her. And, and this is crisis enough to see an angel and have an angel speak directly to you to tell you that the Lord thinks more of your life than you do and you live now for the saving purposes of God. Well, that's more than she or we can bear. And the news is that she will bear the Son of God. She will give birth to a son, Jesus, who is God with us. She will give birth to the Savior of the world. Her life is transformed beyond her abilities, and she is changed for good forever. But she's pledged to be married to Joseph. Will he support her? Will her community support her? Will anyone understand and be on her side? Mary winds up leaving her hometown and traveling to Elizabeth, a relative who has been similarly graced in all the turmoil and expectation, submitting to the Heavenly Father's complete control over their destinies and futures. They share in the good news of God's saving gracious, active presence. Because of the fatherly care of God, Mary isn't overwhelmed or anxious. Instead, with joy, she praises God with Elizabeth singing the song we read today. So her life and her praise reveal to us the first key for us trusting the providential care of God. That God is present in our lives as a minister. The Lord ministers to them in their lives as they are. The Father gave his Son not to condemn the world, but to save it. The Lord comes into this broken, rebellious creation as a minister. How is that? Well, listen to how Mary describes God's presence. Verse 50 she says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. God leads with mercy, not giving us what we deserve. The coming of Jesus as Savior means God will take on the burden of our sin and brokenness. His death means that God is with us even in our worst. We are not left abandoned or on our own. And the weapons Jesus brings us into our troubles are faith and forgiveness, sacrifice and righteousness, the cross and the resurrection from the dead. God leads with mercy. He ministers. He ministers to us. Then Mary sings, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now this is all salvation language. The Lord comes to save your life, not to improve it, not to compare it to another life, 
but to be with you when you are brought low to lift you up. The one true Lord God is present and active, getting his hands dirty in the muck and mire of life, bringing care to those humbled by injustice and hungry for good things. God will answer evil not by explaining it, but by enduring it with his people to overcome it. So no matter the sorrow or the burden that we carry, the Lord is always with us to the very end with the power to raise us up at the last day. Mary experiences, and Mary's life testifies, that God comes to us to minister, us, to minister to us the saving grace of the Lord. Now, just like last week, let me remind you that at this time, Jesus hasn't even been born yet. This is Luke 1. Jesus is born in Luke 2. God incarnate is still in her womb. The Lord is blessing and making holy life even in the womb. Life is sacred from its conception. So there is much yet for Mary to endure. The prophet Simeon will say to her, then Simeon, this is from Luke 2, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And to Mary... A sword will pierce your own soul too. There is much yet for Mary to endure. Just as in our day, we grieve so much that is broken and evil and still in need of God's ministering rescue. Just as we grieve and are angered by the inability of governments to rightfully address the migrant crisis, or to stop and sort out justice in the Israeli-Gaza war, or to stifle the attacks of Putin on Ukraine, or to protect the most vulnerable in our society from poverty and gang violence and drug lords. So in Mary's day, much still is required in her life to live by faith and trust and in ministry. So how are we to live in this? When we join with others in their hurts or burdens or losses, there we meet Jesus. We share in the sufferings and sacrifices of life as bearers of hope and praise and salvation and new life. In fact, we'll see that since God comes to us as a minister, redeemed in the image of Jesus, we are now to live in a posture of ministry in our world also. And this too is a faithful way to understand and rely on and learn to trust in the providential care of God. So let's see this in Mary's life, that we may open our souls to this same gracious presence as God comes as a minister into our own lives. 
As a minister, what does God do first? He comes looking for us. Finding us in our time and in our place, in history, in our lives, and on earth as it is. And this is grace, because we haven't earned God's presence or attention or notice, but God finds us because God is seeking after us. Just look, the gospel begins with a messenger of God visiting a teenage woman living in an out-of-the-way town, Nazareth, where nothing good has ever come, so they said back then. And the Lord comes directly to her. God comes looking for us personally. The Lord finds us as we are. We could be empty. We could be in sorrow. We could be just nothing or lost or sin or broken. That is, we are in some sort of death experience, whether physical or spiritual. And the Lord comes there, not to fix us, not to scold us, or even spare us from the situation, but to minister to us. Maybe we want the Father to get us out of trouble. Yet remember Jesus said in prayer for you and me, John 17, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And so as God's people in the world, we will suffer illness. We will gather at graveyards. We will have failed relationships. The money will get tight. We will face our limits. And right when we need to be at our best, we will fail. But there, even as Mary said about her calling, how can this be? At our confession of our limitations or lack or loss, it is there God finds us. As a minister, God joins us in our trouble. So that by the Spirit, we are empowered then to minister in His name. As we, in the confidence and courage of faith, share in another's death experience. Look, the Lord calls Mary to someone. Not to something. The Lord doesn't call Mary to an easier life or getting out of consequences or more health or wealth or pleasure. Mary is called to someone. In her case, she used to be the mother of the Christ child. Jesus comes as God incarnate, needing care, vulnerable. He will not survive without her servant-like, ministering, motherly love and care. And she will bear him all the way to the cross. And salvation is secure. God finds us in our place, in his time, to call us to someone sharing in ministry in another's need or loss or sacrifice or suffering or lostness in order to share salvation. And then with that call comes a promise, new life. 
not of our own making. The angel brings the good news. You are to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. A final and ultimate turn of events where sorrow will not have the last word, and there will be no more tears or mourning or crying or pain. And this promised joy is our confidence as we join in God's action of sacrifice and suffering. Andrew Root observes, God doesn't enter our difficult situations so we're free from bearing them. God comes as a minister because that is how compassion and love are brought into trouble. From the gracious encounter in crisis comes a call to minister to another, to overcome evil by enduring it in mercy. God fulfills his promise through acts of ministry. Now we've said not all is solved for Mary. There will be hardship yet. She will see the worst of human evil crucify her son. A sword will pierce her heart. Yet she sings here of God's fatherly care, praise. She lives in the confident assurance that the mighty God has done great things for her and she will be called blessed. This is the difference the Lord's ministering presence gives us. The Father's goodness even when life is not good. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. When we confess we are in need, we find an experience of the God who ministers to us, often in the service or prayer or shared suffering of another to whom God calls us. And the Lord's saving grace will have the last and lasting word in our lives. In the best-selling novel entitled The Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell, author Robert Dugoni helps us struggle with belief when so much in this life works against it, even compelling us at times to conclude life is better without faith. But in that novel, the main character, Sam, has a rare eye condition, making him the target of bullies at school and making him give up on God's will. He becomes an eye doctor and devotes his life to healing those with eye diseases. He says, I didn't consider my work God's work. This was not even my way of helping others as much as it was my penance to atone myself for my life. He joined something like Doctors Without Borders to help impoverished in poor nations. That takes him away from his mother, who is dying from cancer. Seeing her, he says, I'm so sorry that I haven't been there for you. His mother responds, Sorry for helping the poor and sick? Sorry for helping God's children? She shook her head. Don't 
Think of it. It is God's will for you to do his work. When the last are put first, you are in the presence of God. Sam thinks, initially it did not feel this way. Initially my work felt as I had intended it, an escape and a penance. But now I saw the truth in my mother's words, and I hoped they would help to relieve my tremendous guilt. In the notes at the end of the novel, the author says, the main character, Sam, wanted what I think we all want. We struggle to understand how this or that could be God's will. Why all the sorrow, the suffering, the sin? But through it all, Sam wanted to believe. He wanted to believe that God really did have a plan for him and for his life. He wanted to believe God's will really meant something. Mary blesses the Lord with praise for who God is and what the Lord has done and will do. Mary draws from Hannah's story at the birth of Samuel, back in 1 Samuel 2. As if to say, we may all draw from her story and trust this one true God who ministers to creation and to us and through us. She will face her own question of the Father's care as a servant She takes that on. She opens herself and us up to this identity in Christ, a servant of the Lord. She says in verse 48, the Lord is mindful of the humble state of his servant. And that's her. And that's us. God has graciously, out of mercy alone, because I never deserved it, the Lord has graciously ministered to me and calls me to minister to another. This his son, my child, I am the Lord's servant, says Mary. And she sees, the mighty one has done great things for me. I am blessed. The great Christian Reformed teacher, Herman Bavink, sums it all up for us. It is above all by faith in Christ that believers are enabled, in spite of all the riddles that perplex them, to cling to the conviction that the God who rules the world is the same loving and compassionate Father who in Christ forgave them all their sins, accepted them as his children, and will bequeath to them eternal blessedness. That's our trust. This is our first reflection on the providence of God. Without it, there is no purpose to any of this. And we're left in despair, as so many are today. So finally, in our wrestling with providence, we must ask, if not this, then what? What's the alternative? And next week, we'll look at the popular alternative today. If life is not guided and sheltered in the providence of God, 
Are we living merely at the whims of karma? That's for next week. Amen. So I want to go into prayer now, and at the end of the prayer, I'll uh, instruct you, and then we'll finish with a litany to read, okay? So when I get to the end of the prayer, I'll just invite you, and we'll end our prayer with a litany that you can follow on the screens. All right, let's unite together in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have blessed us with the gift of another year, and we have chosen to praise and to give you thanks together today. So receive the worship of our hearts, our souls, and our minds. We recall with comfort those we have said goodbye to for now. And we rejoice in the life of those new to our families, and to our church family, and to our friendships. Minister to us, Lord, through Jesus, your Son, and the Savior. And we pray for those needing your merciful presence and care. We pray for strength and for a measure of mercy for Ginny Jupp, and for George Vendenen, and for Patty Hopp, and for Hal Beatty. We ask that you watch over Wayne and Joan Vandermolen and Grace Morris. We pray that you bring comfort to Edith Feldman in the passing of her brother, Cal. And we ask that you be with Linda Highbor and their family as they lay her mother to rest this coming Saturday. Here are prayers for those on our own hearts, for those with chronic illness, for those living to overcome addiction, for those with mental illness. And we ask, Lord, that you bring your peace. And I pray for my sister, Dorothy, for mercy and care for her and for her family. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Be thou our guard and our guide while life shall last, and our eternal home. Now let's join together, following along on the screens. In the beginning, the universe is without form and absent of light. In the beginning, the word is spoken, and light and life come into being. When an angel appeared to Mary to carry the light in her womb, all heaven and earth waits. The one who was there in the beginning comes into the world, Jesus Christ. In him is life, and the life is the light of all nations. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Who will carry the light in our day? 
Who will carry the light into the world? Who will carry the light today, tomorrow, next year? Creation still groans for fulfillment, and human souls yearn for salvation. The Spirit hovers over human hearts, calling them to work with the Spirit in the great unfolding of creation. We are called to carry the light of the kingdom, chosen to bear the fruit of the Spirit to a hungry world, called for our generation to reflect God's light to our world and to allow God to nourish human souls. Whom shall the Lord send to carry his light? Ever-saving God, who came into the world clothed in our garment of flesh and who willingly gave yourself to the cross, clothe us in your own spirit that those you bring into our lives will recognize you in us and receive your mercy and saving grace. Amen.